Welcome to Pocket Guide AI, Artificial Intelligence for Executives. My name is Ansgar Wittermann, CEO of Goldblum Consulting, and uh, I'm your host for today. Um, today uh, with me are my great global panelists. They are all experts in their own field. And before we are introducing our uh, guest speaker for today, I would like to give our panelists a chance to quickly introduce themselves to you. Hi, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, this is Satya. I'm from Toronto, Canada. I'm an enterprise architect. Hi, good evening. Good evening. I'm from <coughs> I'm Isoku Kobayashi from Tokyo, Japan, and I'm now engaging uh, to create a, a guidance book for a project, especially uh, in this industrial uh, field. I'm so excited. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, um, I'm Markus Patters. I'm an IT consultant from Germany and working for Novidas Consulting. Hello, I am Renoadra. I am uh, coming from Beirut. Uh, I am a management and strategy consult consultant uh, working in the Middle East region over the past uh, 10 plus years. I'm very much excited by the topic of AI and looking forward to today's session. Thank you very much, panelists. And uh, now I would uh, like to introduce our guest speaker, uh, Dr. Johannes Nerkorn. He's working for Siemens Digital Industries. And uh, I'm very happy uh, to have him here today uh, for us uh, to tell us more about industrial AI. Welcome, Johannes. Right, and I'm uh, Johannes Nerkorn with uh, Siemens Industries. Um, currently an AI architect in the customer service division. We're developing or tools and solutions for, for our customers and our um, business itself to improve the quality, the throughput of the production process with the help of AI. From our perspective, there's huge potential for AI and especially for AI in industries. Brought a couple of examples that we worked on ourselves where actually the implementation of AI helped ourselves, um, so our own production for, for Siemens, but also our customers uh, in, in different aspects within the manufacturing context. So one of the examples in the automotive uh, context is to, re to reduce uh, scrap by optimally setting the parameters of complex machines, in this case, a press shop, huge machines, very complex to operate. You have people with experience over, over decades that operate these machines. And from that perspective, a perfect case for AI to actually influence a um, multitude of parameters of these machines in the optimal way to, in the uh, end, essentially keep the quality at the intended level. Um, other one also a quality assurance case, actually, uh, food and beverage production, in this case, uh, juice. So it's a detection of, of foreign objects with the help of AI. In that case, it's quite difficult actually to detect these objects with classical methods uh, given the, the shape and the color um, that these objects have compared to what the juice is made of. Perfect use case here um, also to assure the quality that the manufacturer always, obviously wants to provide for uh, their customers. Uh, one of our internal examples is uh, what we call test effort reduction, so electronics production, lots of tests during uh, the production process to assure the quality. Lots of that is actually automated, but um, given the high quality of the output of this manufacturing process, you typically have a high uh, amount of time that is spent on testing. And here we are able to 
predict the product quality based on production parameters in a way which enables manufacturer to reduce the amount of classical testing that they have to perform. And in this case, it's even if you reduce it by a couple of percents or tens of percents, uh, this transforms in quite a lot of time reduction and given a, a production that runs at capacity, gives basically more throughput to the line and direct return on investment that you can calculate quite easily. And I mean, another example is batteries production. Um, again, basically a very complex process, um, which is highly dependent on the basically the input and the raw material quality that goes into this production process. You can lose big batches um, if you don't control for these input variances. And again, here, uh, perfect use of AI to take into account the basically high parameter space potential parameter space of the input and its relation to the output um, of this production process for batteries, which you're typically not able to um, do by hand, essentially, or just with your human brain. And I mean, to be honest, these were four examples where AI showed its potential, um, but only very few of them are actually running productively and none of them run at scale. And there's a good reason to this. Um, and this is part of the, the uh, talk that I want to give today or part of the insights I want to share with you. Um, why do you see so few, um, well, essentially successful AI pilots, I would, I would call them, going really into production and bringing the value that you detected during your, your proof of concepts? And if you look a little bit in the research, uh, in the research literature and if you uh, popular uh, media, um, there, are, there are multiple reasons. Um, and I mean, I, I, I still like the one, even though it's like 20 years ago, there's this quote on, on Twitter uh, of a data scientist saying, look, it took me three weeks to develop the model based on the historical data I have, but it's been uh, more than 11 months and the model hasn't still, still hasn't been deployed into production. Um, and this is a notion that from, from a data science perspective is actually quite common. So developing the model once you have the data is, is fairly straightforward today, at least for an initial version, because you have tools, you have uh, initial models that are pre-trained, you have your experience that you can build upon. Um, this isn't actually the bottleneck anymore. It was 10 years ago because you didn't have the people, you didn't have the tools, you didn't have the know-how. It's not anymore. What is the problem now is actually to bring this to production. And from an industrial AI perspective, um, we think there are unique challenges that need to be solved before there can be a wide adoption of AI in the industrial and manufacturing context. And basically just to, to touch upon uh, a few of those, um, for us, we think about this, you have two worlds that meet. You have the, the industry, the industrial world and AI, which come together and have to work together in a way that bring benefit to the customer, to the user, um, whoever basically benefits from this. And on the one hand, you have basically the industrial manufacturing process, for example, um, in a shop floor, which is dynamic in itself. So you have a lot of movement, you have a lot of changes, and you have what we would call a dynamic ITOT environment. So you have changes in the IT systems that control the manufacturing process. You can imagine you have changes in the versions of the MES system, of ERP systems, the connections, you have new installations in a big plant. It's on the one hand, it's a very complex system and typically it's also legacy systems uh, that you're dealing with. 
and on the OT side as well. So you have machines that are being exchanged, that are, are being upgraded, um, typically to a point uh, where the manufacturing still works, but where people don't necessarily take care or think about the data that these machines potentially produce for an AI use case. Um, on the other hand, the, the, the other really big portion of the challenges of industry is that you have what we call mission critical production environments. So to these manufacturing companies, their production and their ongoing production is what they earn their money with. Every minute that you don't produce, you don't earn money, you lose money. For a car manufacturer, an OEM, they typically measure downtime in unproduced cars. So they have an estimate how much cars they can produce per year. And every downtime of a line results in them being able to produce fewer cars and obviously then also sell fewer cars. So they can't make this up. They don't have basically extra capacity uh, that they can produce these, let's call it lost cars um, after hours because they run their production's um, capacity typically. So this is how they are um, built up and how they also estimate their production capacities. So this means you're dealing in an environment which is quite dynamic and which is also critical to the customer success. You can't basically mess with it, you can't play with it, and you can't break it with whatever you bring into this. And combine this with the challenges of AI, and AI from a, let's say, um, scientific perspective, and then also from an implementation perspective. So, I mean, we had this before, um, AI heavily depends on, on the data and the data quality. What you typically find is if you do a, a POV or a proof of concept for your AI uh, model that you want to do, you, you rely on historical data. This is usually an excerpt. It's heavily edited or annotated. It's cleaned. Um, so it's no wonder that once you want to put this into production, what you see in real life on the production shop floor does not match what you've seen during training. And these might be little changes, like a timestamp doesn't match what you were expecting. Might be big changes that a whole, let's say, tabular data column misses because an operations engineer just switched off this functionality because he thought he wouldn't need it anymore. So data quality in the um, manufacturing shop floor is, is really one of the key issues uh, for implementation of AI models. It is already an issue to come up with these models, but even more so when you want to put these into production and, and operate them. And the other one is, Typically, the investment in your first AI uh, proof of concept are quite high. So you have some expectation that you're able to transfer the learnings or the outcome, the artifacts, the software, the models, whatever you produce with this, um, to other instances within your, your own manufacturing or to other customers if you're a provider of AI. And here, the well, inherent um, complication of AI comes into play that a direct transfer of models is typically quite difficult. Um, you have generalized AI models that are available today, which typically need um, a lot of tuning to basically give the benefit that you need. And then you also have different, um, I would call it input spaces, even if they might look the same from the outside. So talking from own experience, you have six production lines in your manufacturing uh, environment, so in, in, in your plant, which from the outside, everybody would tell you, yes, they're the same. So same line manufacturer, same year of installation, they're producing roughly the same parts. You would think that a model trained on data from line one performs the same on line two. Once you dig into it, you realize it's not. 
So basically the impact of the small changes of these different lines on your model is something you only find out once you try to roll it out. There might be different uh, versions installed on the proprietary hardware of these manufacturing devices, which have an impact on how this data is transported. So you have to find basically a common interface to interpret those. Um, for example, you have instabilities in your model itself that you're going aware of because you couldn't, couldn't test it before. So all these um, challenges that you have both in the industrial context in itself and the AI context in itself already um, basically become exponentially larger if you try to combine them. So this is why we advocate actually to think of AI in industry holistically and to make sure that you have all the tools and all the know-how available um, to tackle these in basically a, a holistic way. So, I mean, from our perspective, AI POCs are nice. It's, it's good to um, convince management that there's potential, but you only uh, earn money with those or you reduce your costs once they're in operation. So up to the point where you pull basically uh, the plug of, for example, your old testing machine and exchange it with an AI model, you haven't earned anything. You have only spent money. So you really make to, you need to make sure that you're aware of the consequences, that you're aware of the challenges, and that you're aware where you need to invest basically um, beforehand and during afterwards in maintaining the quality of your AI model um, to deliver you the results that you expect of them and that you expect of them to bring you the return that you invested. I mean, from an industrial perspective, I would say you should treat your AI models the way you treat your expensive equipment. You're not hesitant to have a service contract for a machine that costs you a million euros for a hundred thousand euros a year. But typically this is not what people see in uh, AI models at the moment in the environment that we're working in. You're happy to invest a million into your AI pilot, but if you say there's a recurrent cost of 100,000 per year to just maintain this model over time, people start questioning the approach. But if the model actually brings the benefit that you that you think it should, then you should be also willing to invest basically in an ongoing well, service contract, uh, essentially, for your AI model. I mean, I, I brought two takeaways um, that we also had in a different context already. And I mean, for this group, I think it's already quite clear, but in the industrial context, this is still the learning curve. Be aware that, that AI is, it's not a copy and paste business. So it's not like software that you have one installation, the next installation will be the same and it will run. You will have adaption efforts going from, from A to B and you need to be aware and you need to be able to manage those cleverly. And the other one is, if you want to have success with your AI, consider a holistic solution that takes into account the entire life cycle of your AI model early enough. Don't stop at thinking, what's the outcome of my POC? And then consider what's the implementation scenario and the operation scenario. Start thinking about it holistically. And if you can't do it yourself, and we're very well aware that this is a huge challenge to do this yourself, get support, um, there, there are enough people already out there today that know what this means. I mean, also in this group, uh, but I think the success really depends on that. Thank you very much, Johannes. This was a very, very interesting talk and uh, very enlightening, enlightened. And, uh, you know, what, what I really like is that it doesn't really matter where you are, either if you have industrial AI or in other settings, 
the problems basically are always the same. And I, I really like your <clears throat> the comment, the, the, the Twitter comment, uh, which you said, you know, it took me three, three weeks to uh, write the model in 11, 11 months to deploy it. And, and that is basically what um, a lot of people, you know, get into this misconception of AI, which is, oh yeah, you know, there's so many models, it gets so quickly. But it's, you know, it's not, it's uh, AI readiness and AI success is more than just writing an AI model. Uh, and I think for, for you, for the industrial AI, you know, last week we talked about value and, um, you know, some people touch on it and some people don't. But, you know, for, for, for you, as you said, you know, you measure downtime and not, no, not produced cars. You know, you are running this value perspective uh, like on cocaine, right? I mean, that is something which has to, uh, has to work perfectly, that you deliver value all the time. And uh, I, I really, I really like that. And I really like your um, takeaways, you know, that you have to think holistically and um, that, you know, that AI is not something which you just um, just buy and uh, plug and play. It is not. And uh, the whole, in the end, I mean, what, what we always take take away from, from, from every, um, every setting is that, um, you know, that, that the whole company has to change if you, or, The whole organizational structures behind that have to change if you want to, um, you know, want to have a successful AI project going. On. And uh, yeah, I thank you very much for that. And uh, just you know, now that we have you here as an industrial expert, I mean, what are you seeing here in Germany? Uh, how is the you know the industrial mindset? Um, you know, how is the industrial mindset evolving? Do you think that the other industries really understood that yet? Do you feel the change or is, is everybody still trying themselves out? From my perspective, what we experience is that we're really at the um, point where it shifts from people trying out things uh, just for the heck of trying it out because it's on Vogue um, to the point where they really think deeply about the value it can bring to them in their own setting and whether it's worth investing in this. So we at least came to the point where people realized there is value, but it's also necessary to consider this as a real investment case and not just a play case. And I think this is the point where you will find that some cases won't make sense for a particular uh, implementation scenario. And you will also find that now is the time actually to provide uh, the right tooling and processes and also collaboration methods to bring these solutions as efficiently as possible into production. Because now we're competing basically with classical, uh, I, would, I would call it classical improvement methodologies. I think in Lean Six Sigma, it's, it's quite clear actually how you evaluate the impact of a measure. Yes. And now basically you're evaluated against exactly the same measures with your um, new fancy AI uh, solutions. From my perspective, that, that's a really good thing. And it gives a lot of opportunity to basically improve also both the quality and efficiency of, of your implementations. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, that at the end of the day, you know, we haven't met. I mean, we, we just met a few, almost a year now now. But, you know, we, we, many of us come from this, you know, Lean Six Sigma approach. And, you know, now in 2020, 2021, we all need, you know, <laughs> to, 
and uh, converge. And that I really, really like. Yeah, Johannes, um, actually, uh, very interesting points you brought uh, about some of the challenges. I mean, industry challenges are bigger because obviously I, I understand that uh, um, because on the production line, you might not have the uh, uh, the the uh, organizational readiness for change is 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 always a challenge right so um i would like to know like how are you actually uh, i mean obviously in a real life how are you actually able to overcome some of those uh, organizational challenges where you know on the production line um you know the people don't care about you know coexisting with the with uh, um, another machine uh, and you know making sure that their process is running uh, efficiently to ensure that it is producing the data that is required for uh, the 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 machine uh, to do its part of the process right so how, if you wouldn't mind touching up on that uh, slightly a bit more deeper it'll be really helpful because you know it, it, it's an interesting topic sure I'll, I'll try the best i can so it, it from my perspective it's and what we try to do is we, we consider this basically not too much different from any change management uh, process that you have um i'm trying to reflect what the particularities with ai would be i mean one of the things that i think is is with these digitalization and especially AI topics is that uh, across the typical organizational structure you would find uh, in many organizations, especially in the manufacturing world. So you have typical silos for certain functions um, that you need to go across to have a successful AI uh, project. So I think this is, this is the first key component to realize that you essentially in the end need from every department, somebody who buys in, who is part of the project and who is also responsible to make sure that their part contributes. And very, very concretely, I mean, this really starts by, with education. So we have really simple AI, um, yeah, I would say AI introductory uh, courses or basically AI introductory rounds to present to people that have not been in touch with these methods. What are the limitations? What are the, the possibilities? What are the methods behind? Um, a big word that, that you would typically see. So to basically try to get people that are involved with these projects to build up some empathy for other roles and basically build up at least some knowledge and understanding of what you're trying to implement. To first one is basically take away the black box character and the, the magic of the uh, AI or the solution you want to introduce. And then obviously the, the next one is you need basically to show them what the, the benefit would be of co collaborating and of, of basically accepting this. But this also goes hand in hand with having um, still, I would say, a, a high ranking uh, sponsor for such a project. So I have not seen a project being successful where you didn't have um, backing from somebody in a traditional setup high enough um, that could also if it was needed to order people to do things if they were reluctant to do so um, yeah. so yeah i would say very concretely try to educate the people that you're connected with try to open up so to say as much as possible don't don't try to 
bring them magic, but try to bring them explainable tools that they can use and, and understand, uh, get as many people involved as, as you need, and maybe one more than necessary, and, and get high-level uh, support for, for the implementation if you need. Uh, Johannes, one quick question. If you're talking about high-level support, uh, I, I really like the idea that you have these <clears throat> simple AI introduction um, um, uh, courses. But what about these high-level um, people or board people, executive people? How are they being trained? Oh, in the same way, actually. So we, we do these courses for management levels and for um, operator levels. So we did this internally as well. Okay. And we were asked to do this. So I have this sort of AI introduction or AI awareness on a management level. Okay. Because for them, it's it's the same thing, right? So it's new. They have they should be able to decide whether they want to do it or not. But obviously, they if if they're a little bit more senior, they didn't have an AI introductory course. They didn't take a Coursera course. They didn't have a training on this. And for them, it's just as much a black box as it is for their um, subordinates or for for their, their workers essentially. Okay. Well, that's lovely because you know I've seen a lot of companies which um, <clears throat> they like to train their let's say mid-level or uh, low-level em uh, employees. But then the high-level employees, they are mostly forgotten because they are so high. They, you know, everybody assumes they know everything, and then the problem starts. But I really appreciate that. And from my perspective, the challenge is slightly different. So for the workers, I guess you, you, the, the intention of these trainings is to build the trust uh, towards whatever your your AI solution is that they actually trust it, that they want to use it, that it brings them a benefit. But for the top-level management, it's typically more uh, towards expectation management. Um, so basically one of the takeaways, it's not a copy and paste business. It's not you do it once and then it runs. It's not uh, a quick and easy solution that you can then forget. It's not the magic trick that will solve all your problems. It's more showing basically the benefit, but also showing the boundaries um, to manage their expectations towards whatever you're doing with AI. Yeah. Sometimes they come from a point where they, they read something and have a perception that it can do more uh, than you can technically currently do. You might be able to do things in 10 years, but not now. Yeah, one more question. I think I think you touched upon this very nicely um, in your presentation is, is on the data that is required, right? So the so-called training data that is from uh, that is used for the non-production environment is, you know, completely different to the real life, right? Um, so I guess this is where we need to also uh, uh, realize that an AI project, depending on the scenario where you're implementing, uh, cannot be handled just like a typical IT project, right? So, you know, where you're actually giving it some use cases, which might not even exist in real life and 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 you push the model to production and then off you go that's where your disasters uh, stri strike right so so i i mean i i see that um i see that companies using different techniques to overcome this where uh, they are actually uh, training their models with production data uh, uh, although they don't officially productionalize it, uh, they actually have the model in a live production environment working parallelly with, um, with the, in the line with their other uh, employees or, or uh, that way it is, it is officially not pr productionalized, but it is actually providing you the results where you're able to monitor how it is performing. 
so is that is that uh, is that something that is really happening or are you seeing that uh, typically companies still following this similar IT uh, model of you know uh, deploying non production system with you know completely silo information and not realistic information that that's a great point you you're raising there um what we're seeing is that that it helps a lot if you involve the IT people early enough and if you try to put yourself in their shoes as well and try to I and mean, come down to also adopting their language uh, in terms of how how they structure their problems what we try to do and sell to them is basically having um i mean software development i would call it a staging environment between development and production but making the stage staging environment multi-layered so potentially have a staging environment which is completely sealed off from the production environment but then having a second layer as you described it which is not influencing your production yet but is already connected to your production so basically tearing down one layer there connecting it to live data it could even be semi live data right so you you ca- could have uh, a data dump in between it doesn't have to be the data that was produced a second ago it could be from yesterday uh, but it's the same structure essentially so that you build basically a multi layered staging environment in their speak potentially that enables you to go as close as possible to being production ready before you then actually deploy it um this is how we approached it successfully in the past um and also basically taking into account their their experience on how do you actually deploy it and what are their processes that you need to adhere to and and where are the critical points that you basically can potentially change and where where are they not able to or change something or where they're not flexible to to go away and then you need to find a way around this but this this i think is is really one of the challenges also in the production environment because here the um underlying processes and and requirements are, are very very strict and are also very uh, historically grown as for that way uh, i mean and for, and for good reasons right so one of them is is the one you, you really want to make sure that you don't impede your production you don't want to have to break down a production just because you deployed a new in this case for example a software version of a new machine you you need to make sure that it runs like 10 minutes later or within the time frame you allocated for upgrading your machines and i think this is something you need to take into account and from an ai perspective data science perspective you need to understand as well that, that there are just some things you can't change and you can't discuss and you can't basically go over and say look yeah yeah it would definitely work or we're pretty sure it will work because sometimes that's not enough so yeah i mean we were trying to implement methods as you, as you suggested um within the boundaries that what is possible so essentially we are trying to extend the existing to make it um useful and then also meaningful for ai thank thank Very you thank you um in relation to your point on training um i very much agree with with the with the points highlighted and i want to stress on the importance of change management for industrial ai projects to be successful and for that to be able to build first of all trust and knowledge as you mentioned the top executives in the firm which is super important to have proper change management 
because we know that once we have the buy-in and the full trust of the top executives, um, then trickling down the organization, um, it makes it smoother and it, it, it might actually make or break uh, the project. And then to that point, um, having it also linked to the company's strategic plan, um, so we know the strategic plan is, is made by top management and then it trickles down to the business or the operational plans. And, uh, and this is one crucial way of making sure that, that the project um, is, is run successfully. Yeah, great point. I mean, it comes from top down and needs to fit to the entire strategy. Otherwise, with any initiative, I, I would say you're, you're lost. Hey, thank yeah. you very much, uh, everyone, uh, for this very lively and interesting discussion. And uh, I would be very happy if we could have maybe an industrial eye uh, too for a discussion, um, because there's so many topics we, I think, every one of us would like to deepen. And uh, but for today, I think I would like to uh, uh, end this podcast. And uh, first of all, thank Johannes for taking your time to uh, elaborate and uh, paint a picture how industrial AI uh, works nowadays. So thank you very much, Johannes. And uh, thank you very much, panelists, for, uh, for listening and uh, interacting. And uh, I hope uh, I will see you or uh, hear you uh, next week soon again. Thank you.